Welcome to the Dairy Farmer's Digest, a podcast dedicated to all things dairy farming. Each episode, we will talk to industry leaders who share their insights and experiences into the dairy business. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Dairy Farmer's Digest. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer. I'm super excited to have uh, Coke Swinsink here uh, from... How do you say that again? Hohenhorst Farms in Woodstock, Ontario? Yes, Hohenhorst Farms. Yeah, so you're the owner and the the manager there. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about the farm and uh, maybe a little bit about your history and how you came back to the farm? Because I know, I think when we were met, when I was talking to you there uh, earlier, you said you were uh, an engineer by trade, so. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Well, thanks for having me, Keith, on your uh, podcast. I'm excited to be here. Um, Hoonhoors Farms, uh, well, we're a family farm. Um, we originated from the Netherlands. I'm farming in Canada since 1994. So uh, we're, we're nearing a 30-year anniversary here. Um, so about nine or 10 years ago, I returned to the farm. I'm now owner and manager of the farm. So I'm fourth generation, actually. Um, We milk 500 cows, uh, filling just under 700 kilos of quota. And we milk all Holsteins, closed herd. And um, cows are milked with 10 Lely A4 robots in two locations. And so uh, we we crop about 800 acres, um, eight employees right now, no family members. Uh, So we rely on non-family member employees. And for field work, we're uh, custom operators. So that's just a quick overview of the farm. Um, as for myself, yeah, you're right. Um, I did return to the farm with a slightly different background. So after high school, I uh, went to study mechanical engineering at uh, Queens in Kingston. And I did pursue a career in that. So I, I briefly worked for um, a company in Toronto. And then I went off to, uh, to Europe. I ended up doing a, a master's in strategic product design at Delft in the Netherlands and then worked for a management consultant in Amsterdam and Brussels for a couple of years. And then uh, I, after that, I, I got an opportunity to return to the farm. So uh, I gave that a shot and that's now, yeah, almost 10 years ago. And so I, uh, I started as a herds person, uh, worked my way up, learned the ropes and I'm uh, now managing the farm. So when you went off to school, went to Queens, did you think you were going to have an opportunity to come back to the farm? Like, was that the end goal or was that just circumstances lined up and you ended up back at the farm? Well, I I always had an interest in farming, but uh, to be honest, I did not consider a career in farming from the beginning. So yeah, my goal was to become a mechanical engineer. But then once uh, you enter the corporate world, you also realize that there's a lot of benefits to being on a farm. (laughs) And to be honest, I I missed that time outside. I missed the space. Uh, Working a desk job wasn't for me. I just felt my legs itching a bit. And so um, my my dad uh, was very, I think, clever in that, that he always threw out my time working elsewhere, would always send me stuff about the farm and ask for my input. And he and I both like Excel sheets and numbers. So he would ask mm-hmm. my opinion on stuff and keep sending me things. So he kept me interested. And so when an opportunity arose on the farm, 
uh, I was at a point in my life where I think I was ready for a change, a change. And so we thought we'd give it a try. And uh, I ended up really liking it. I, I find it has that perfect balance for me where it, it sat and like my desire to do the the business, the analytical, the analysis, but also the physical. I, I don't like sitting behind a desk all day. I really enjoy being, you know, physically active as well. And it, a farm running a farm is challenging. It's it's different every day. I really enjoy it. I know working in a in a job like mine too, like you don't get to see necessarily the end product all the time. So like in the spring and the fall, I actually uh I work for a friend of mine and just work ground and it's like a it's a great mental break for me because I can see progress on what I've did where I don't necessarily yeah. get that in our job. Like everything's changing day to day. You're kind of not necessarily putting out fires, but there's always a different challenge on multiple different farms and kind of rising to the occasion to make sure that things run smoothly is uh, you get into kind of like a hamster wheel some days. So <laughs> it's nice to well, take that little bit of a break. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, in my past job, it would take sometimes a project you'd work on. I often not even see the end result. It would take years. And yeah, Mm -hmm. and in farming, that turnaround is much faster, but it can also work both ways. So I know I get the satisfaction of seeing something going well, but when it goes sideways, yeah, I know I'm also responsible for that. so. (laughs) So you guys are in a little bit of a unique position there because like it seems like in the past you've adapted technology to help with some labor issues and now you've gone uh kind of the next step with temporary foreign workers and to me labor is the probably the number one issue in production agriculture now and likely going to be into the future so how did you get to the point where you started looking at uh temporary foreign workers yeah, so for, for us, that happened about eight or nine years ago. And I think like many farms, we, we look to have a stable, reliable, loyal, knowledgeable team. And finding that kind of labor in our area just became increasingly a challenge. I think it really accelerated when Toyota put in their factory in Woodstock. And we ended up competing with them for employees. And you just can compete with their type of wages and benefit packages. So we had to look for other ways to uh, encourage people to to be an employer of choice. So we actually sought the help of an outside uh, HR advisor. And I turned to other farms and just asking like, what can we do what to, to uh, retain employees? We tried all kinds of things, all kinds of approaches, but none of them seemed to work for us long-term. For us, the the turning point came to me when I was uh, pregnant with my first, and uh, I could no longer keep up with having to constantly jump in for shifts. It it was really taking a toll on my personal life. Um, To be honest, it was taking the enjoyment out of the job. One one thing that I think is important for us to know, like on our farm, we, we aim to efficiently fill quota, but we also try to strike a balance between having an efficient farm but also a good work environment team and for ourselves. And it just wasn't, um, I wasn't succeeding in that. So we um, started seriously talking about hiring foreign workers in 2018 and made the jump the year after. Uh, we, we hesitated for a long time. And I think like, like many other farmers, when you're in that position, you hear lots of stories, all kinds of stories. And uh, there was some concern about the amount of paperwork, uh, the language barrier. 
I, I just talked to a lot of farmers working with foreign workers and ultimately we decided it was worth the jump. So we just tried it. And so we're now into our fourth year of uh, employing foreign workers. It's been really successful for us. Half of our team is already on their second two-year contract with us. The other half has already indicated they want to do the same. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, and I think that's that's super important. Like the employee retention, like it's a cost to any business. It doesn't matter if you're in manufacturing yeah. or retail or whatever. Like like training employees, a very time-consuming and costly endeavor. But and, and the time. Yeah, like the time. Well, like the time is. Yes, that's the cost. Is, <laughs> yeah, the time is money. Like like yeah. I think in a position where, you know, like yourself being the farm manager, your time could be better spent managing the farm, not necessarily working on the HR aspect and training new employees constantly. Yeah, or jumping in for missing shifts. So so that became yeah. kind of my issue where for a long time, I think it was also earlier years of the marriage and we didn't have kids where you can do that. I could physically do that. I had the time to do that. It wasn't an issue, but you reach a point in your life where other things are also important. And um, when this takes too much of your time and it's not productive in the way you want it to be productive, it starts to take a toll. So um, for us, that became a real big turning point to where I had a hard deadline. It was the, the delivery of my first. There was no changing that, right? Uh, in a way that was really positive for us because it forced me to really take a drastic look, a real serious look at what are we doing here? What am I doing that's not working for us? How can we change it? And in the end, it really came down to us having to make a change, right? Everything else wasn't working. So um, yeah, it, it, it was a, I guess we went all in. Yeah. 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 Like if people are starting to think about temporary foreign workers, like what, what are some of the first steps, I guess, to, to getting the process started? Yeah, so I, I would really suggest looking at, uh, well, speaking to other farmers first about uh, what their experience is like, any concerns that you might have. But I, I think in the end, whether you hire Canadians or non-Canadians, it, it doesn't really make a difference in how the work is done, right? So what, what the main difference really is, is how you want to manage your farm. And that's different for everybody. Yeah, how you want to manage your farm, how, how you want to spend your time. Yes, it's true that there is more paperwork involved in hiring foreign workers, but from where I'm standing, I, I can manage that. I can decide when I do that. That's not decided for me. Before, my issue was that I had very little control over how I spent my time because I was constantly dealing with yeah recruitment, filling in for people not showing up, lots of unpredictability. And so I felt I wasn't able to spend the time to properly manage the farm the way I wanted to. And I, mm -hmm. I didn't have that work-life balance. It really started to affect uh, family life. I prefer doing a bit more paperwork and having the control over when that's done with the guarantee that I always have a, a complete capable team to do the work. So now I, I feel I have more control over my own time. I have much better work-life balance. I feel overall I can do a better job of managing the farm to my standards. Mm -hmm. It really comes down to what's important to you and, and are you willing to adapt? because you will need to make some changes if you go this route. And and I can understand that it's that's not for all people. Yeah, and you so you guys used uh, an agency to kind of help guide you through the process of like the paperwork side of things? Yes, so um, 
I, I, uh, so there's two parts to it, right? So there, the paperwork, it's called the labor, first you have to do an LMIA, which is a labor ma market impact assessment, which essentially is you proving to the government that you're unable to hire Canadian workers for the job. And that's sadly very easy to do, but uh, th that's also a good thing, right? So you first have to prove that you can't hire Canadians. Then when you have that approval from the government to hire foreign workers, that's when you approach an agency to, or, or you do it yourself. But I chose to go with an agency because at the time, well, and right now my Spanish, Spanish is not good enough to recruit. I don't have the knowledge of all the details in the country of how things are happening. So I have an agency recruit workers for me and deal with all the paperwork from that site. And so basically I give them the permission for, for me to hire foreign workers, they take care of the rest. And then the agency helps me book the flights and, and get them here. And once they're here, um, yeah, it's on us to uh, make sure we welcome the foreign workers properly onto our team. <laughs> but so what happens too, and I, I know that this happens to other farmers too, initially you use that agency a lot to recruit, but if you find a few people on your team that really enjoy working on the farm, often they end up having brothers, brother-in-laws, cousins who are also interested. And once yep. they understand what's required to work on your farm and, and they all are, are, you know, they have an interest in it, they will come up with names of people who would be good for your farm. So they that do the recruiting time. for you. Yeah. So that's the point where we're at now, where I don't need to recruit anymore. I have a, a list of brothers and brother-in-laws that are wanting to work on our farm. And that makes it a lot easier for us. So it takes a lot of the risk out too, right? Where you kind of, sometimes you don't know what type of person you're getting. So now, Yeah, and now if they're do. getting vouched for, essentially, there's got to be some kind of harmony because if they are living together, they're not going to, they yeah. don't want to invite somebody that's not going to pull their own weight around the farm or cause issues in the house. Oh, yeah. Well, can you imagine, like, it's actually a bit of a challenge for them, right? Like, they work together all day and then they live together. So, yeah, you got to get along. I know with a lot of the the Central American and communities and that, like it's very, very family oriented and, and everything's done with their family. They live with their families. They, they're yeah. quite a, quite a tight knit unit. So. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Family is number one for them. And so, I mean, it's, it's two, two ways. Like, yeah, when they come here as, so now we have a team that is uh, consistent of uh, two families, essentially two families, uh, two sets of brothers that are also brother-in-laws and so they do get along very well because they are family. But you can also imagine for their family back home, having all of them here is not easy. So that's mm -hmm. another challenge that we deal with is how can we make sure that the family back home is also happy and supportive of them being here? Yeah, it makes their, well, it takes a lot of weight off their shoulders, I can imagine. Like I've, yeah. I've got a young family and like to imagine going somewhere, let alone for a week or... <laughs> that like to, to, to be out of the country for you know in some places up to two years yeah and to have the peace of mind I guess to know that everything is, is going well at home yeah like that takes a lot of stress off the off the employee when they're a six-hour flight away yeah it helps to kind of understand the the motivation like what would bring a person to do this right and so mm -hmm. we find uh well our team I think we, we got lucky with our team they're extremely good guys very motivated but so yeah the the motivation is first of all financial right obviously so back home there's such a disparity in guatemala between rich and poor there's not much in between so what they tell me that 
their reason for coming over here is first of all to just provide financial security to their family to be able to build them houses um get the medical care but also what they're thinking of is their children like they want to be able to give their children education so that they're not going to be in the same situation as adults and mm -hmm. uh, a few of them have the dream of bringing their children ultimately over here to canada for education so that's what they're doing it for it's not a short-term like their no. short-term benefit but it's a long-term long played out uh yeah. process that they're looking at yeah these guys it's i don't think it's an easy decision for them like as you mentioned it, it being very much of a family-oriented culture being away from all that family is extremely difficult so they know they're not necessarily doing it for themselves it's really the next generation they're thinking of so yeah i do have a lot of respect for that i know i i don't think i could uh, easily do the same thing yeah, and, and I know you mentioned that you had changed their contracts a little bit because, like, you, help me understand this, but, like, when you sign up a temporary foreign worker, their visas for two years to work in Canada, and then they have to renew? Yeah, so this depends. So you also have seasonal foreign workers, which is mostly okay. fruit and vegetable farms to do it, where they come, I believe, for four months. I don't have as much knowledge of that program, but it's different I think, than the I think even up to nine months, because I nine like months. when I was younger, I don't want to say that I'm old now, but I'm definitely older than I was. But uh, uh, I worked in tobacco a lot Oh yeah. Uh, through high school and, and college, and I always had work with seasonal foreign workers, and there was some of them that would come up in april and they'd start you know prepping greenhouses and things like that and then they wouldn't go back yeah. until november ish after all the tobacco had been processed and, and put yeah. away for the winter so i think it's uh i think there's a lot of variability on how long you can have that like you can have them up for a short time or you can have them up for maybe a little bit longer time but we're yeah. talking about like a two-year contract yeah so what we have it's called the low skilled program i believe and it's, yeah, the guys have a, a visa up to two years. So, um, yeah, they, they come here on a two-year visa. It, it's really up to the employer and the employee to decide how many times in that time they go home. So there's no restrictions on that from my understanding. Obviously, yeah, unfortunately, when we started with our first guy, that was the end of 2019. That's just before COVID hit. So the poor guy couldn't go home for two years. Um, yeah, extremely tough. Um, so we had to figure out some ways to deal with that. But the good thing is now that those restrictions are lifted, our guys are now uh, free to travel whenever. And so we do take advantage of that. So what, what we did is um, realizing that they wanted to come back for you know new two-year contracts and that uh, being away from family for two years at a time is not realistic, nor what we want to. I mean, somebody mm -hmm. not having vacation for two years is just not healthy. Um, we sat down with them the team and asked them like, hey, if we want this to work long-term, because that's our understanding that you would like to, how can we make this work for you? Like what would yeah. you need? Uh, what what kind of time home and uh, work here would you need to make this worthwhile? And so what they had asked is in, in, in our particular team is six months here, one month home. Mm -hmm. And so we, we are in the early stages of trying this. Um, but we we've already had some guys go home and um so yeah every six months they have a vacation and then at the end of their two-year contract they go home for two to three months okay so honestly it's a pretty good deal i wish i had it <laughs> and, and that's and, and that's why you're increasing your your numbers correct yes 
So when people first hear how many people we have employed, it, it doesn't seem efficient. So we have eight employees, uh, one Canadian, seven foreign workers, and we'll in the, in two weeks have our um, eighth foreign worker, right? So we'll have a team of nine people. And yes, that is on paper more than you would need for a farmer size. But what we are doing is there's always going to be one guy or two guys in Guatemala. And then you need a third one for the unforeseen, right? Like if there's a, a if sick days, um, just the unknowns. So really on the ground on our farm, we have six people at all times. So there's a rotation of uh, three people at, at all times. Like how do you set your, your day up with your with your employees? Because it's a little bit, I thought it was unique comparing to maybe some of the other producers that have temporary foreign workers currently. I, I'm not exactly sure how like how it's uh, different for us, but yeah, I can explain with how we do it with our farm. So we have essentially two shifts. Uh, we have work on our farm between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. split into two shifts. So there is a shift that does uh, 6 to 2.30 with a half hour break. And then the other shift does 6 to 10 a.m. in the morning and then a longer break and then 2 to 6 p.m. in the evening. So in total, nobody works more than eight hours. Um, and then every other weekend they're on duty. So for our team, um, we really focus a lot in in the last, I think, well, let's say eight years on establishing very clear protocols and schedules for all work on our farm. So I have created responsibility areas on the farm. Like for instance, you have uh, the calf manager, you have uh, the lead herds person for one of our farms, a lead herds person for the other farm, you have a feeder, and then the people, the remaining people in between are either backups or there's uh, also maintenance and repair. In that sense, I have a schedule made uh, a month ahead for all team members where it clearly assigns which area they will be responsible for. And everybody knows also that that is not to be changed without my permission, because that makes it also very easy for everybody to know what it is that they're to do. It makes it easy to deal with problems when they arise it makes it very predictable to me to, for me to deal with when, when there's somebody that cannot do their shift or there's some sort of unknown to uh, shift things around. Yeah. And that, uh, I think standardizing everything and you see it a lot in a lot of other, other industries and more and more in agriculture, I think, especially with dairy production or hog production, where they're always, they've got certain tasks that need to be done every day. Yeah. And to have that scheduled, like from this time to this time, you know, we're scraping. Yeah crosswalks we're doing this we're doing that you know keeping everybody moving in the same direction i guess and keeping the whole farm flowing in a in a positive yeah. way well and that was one of the things that was a bit like a, a positive surprise to me when and when we started working with the stable team right like it's it's the last four years or three years really we've had a very stable team and i didn't realize how much that affected our farm in a good way. Cows like stability. Cows mm -hmm. like it boring. If you keep changing people on them and changing schedules, it's very stressful for them. So now that they have the same people interacting with them every day and they, there's the same routine, I feel like our animals are more relaxed too. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so aside from creating like the set schedule with the set responsibility tasks, what we also have very clearly outlined every day, like Monday to Friday, exactly which tasks are be are to be done that day and then weekends we we try to run a bare bones schedule just to give everybody a bit more time off even though they're on duty but yeah essentially 
predictability and simplicity. That's what we try to achieve on our farm. That takes away a lot of the the variables and the error that can occur in some of those just day to day tasks, right? Yeah. Like it, it may about it, it may sound boring to a lot of producers. Like I think some producers like to have that little bit of chaos. Yeah. But like you said, the cows don't want chaos. No. And you you running a whole farm like by yourself, you don't want the chaos either. It is completely impossible for me to run with chaos. So yeah, yeah no, a, a big driver for why we run it this way, and it may seem like very strict. Yeah, we are very protocol driven, very schedule driven. Is also I'm the only person here, right? So mm-hmm. it is. There's no way for me otherwise to to manage the farm to the standard that I want to manage it. And I'm lucky that the team seems to really like it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the like the the approach and challenges you've had with some of the language barrier stuff? Because I know I think that's a lot of people's apprehension yeah. with the temporary foreign workers. Well, and that was a big one for me too, to be honest. So I initially thought that some of our team members would come with some basic English knowledge or that they would be willing to learn it. But I quickly came to the realization that that's not realistic at all. I mean, and if you compare it to yourself, if you start a new job, would you be able to to learn like French or German job? Probably not, right? If you can avoid it. So yeah, I quickly realized that for me to run it well, I would have to learn Spanish. I'm not naturally good at languages, so that was a bit scary for me. Uh, but but I um, I am very motivated to learn when I'm put in a situation when there's no other way out. And that was the scenario. Uh, so I, I took a few basic Spanish courses uh, and I'm lucky that my husband actually is uh, Spanish speaking. Um, he is uh, Mexican by birth and came here about 30 years ago for study. So he's Canadian, but uh, speaks Spanish fluently. So that helped me a lot, uh, even though he's not on the farm. But if I had a tricky situation to deal with, he could pre- quickly provide some uh, translations. That's not, not done very often anymore now. I think what, I, what I'm trying to get to is that, yes, the language barrier is a challenge for sure. And it continues to be a challenge for me. But it's something that you can work with. I don't think it's inhibiting how I manage the farm or the level of management on the farm. There's a few people on my team that want to learn English and their their English is pretty good, actually. And my Spanish is enough to get by with them where we now have come to where they understand what I'm saying. I understand what they're saying. And they they understand that all of us are trying. And I think when they realize that you're trying, that takes so much of the pressure off so really once you come to the point where you realize you don't have to speak perfect spanish you just have to try right mm-hmm. and, and google translate goes a long way in in you know in a pinch it's something that i continue working at but um i i kind of enjoy learning spanish now like it is a good language to learn especially when you go on vacation so i, <laughs> yeah, I don't see it as of, a barrier anymore yeah yeah it's just more and more like there's a lot of Spanish being spoken in the world. Yeah. But I do also know like there's there's a lot of other farmers that will have people coming from different countries where they do speak English, right? So it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be in in the case where we, we chose to go with Spanish-speaking employees. But yeah, you, you can uh, have people come from all sorts of country, all kinds of different language abilities. Yeah. And I, I look at some of the, the people that I know that have the temporary foreign workers and they're, you know, Ukrainian 
Sri Lankan, Filipino. Like there's there's a lot of different areas of the world that that these uh, yeah. employees are coming from now. So yeah, well, and what helped us too is a if it, it is actually an interesting challenge for the farm. It, it made me look at the farm a bit different because bef- before these these guys arrived and and I realized language would be a barrier. And you, we had all these protocols in place and they were in English. And some of them, to be honest, were overly complicated. So one of the things that, that I did was go through every protocol and really take out anything that wasn't absolutely necessary to just absolutely simplify everything. Because it's much easier to teach some, somebody something when it has mm-hmm. five steps versus 15, right? Mm-hmm. I think in the end, that was really positive for us there are other ways that you can be more efficient. So um, I, I did go through the process of, yeah, kind of leading your farm, right? Like going through everything, simplifying it, then also translating it to Spanish. I really practiced the Spanish myself. You just kind of have to keep going at it and keep trying. Well, that's a, I think that's a really important part that you bring up because like how many SOGs or SOPs, like a standard operating guideline or standard operating procedures would you have on the farm just in your daily them. chores what's that i lost count of them <laughs> <laughs> but you so know you what so use it, your fingers it, and toes <laughs> oh no. no but you know it, initially it started out of necessity when i first came on the farm not, there were no sops so it was also part of me learning right like just going through writing everything down so it became initially of a how-to binder for me and then the employees were like, hey, this is actually really useful. Let's make this like an employee thing. And people started contributing to it. So it's kind of a living document for us now where you, you keep updating it. But also, it is not something that you sit down and read, right? So you, well, we make sure on the farm that when there's a new employee, you train them on the SOP. Like the first time you'll have it in hand. And then you just keep going through the steps until you don't need the papers anymore in nature. So mm-hmm. these guys on our team are not looking at a paper as they're doing their tasks. Like they know the SOPs. I'll review it with them and revise it every once in a while. But, but, it's not, but it is important for us to have every do the task the same. Like do your workers, like after they get, like your employees, like after they get doing a task for so long, like are they bringing suggestions to you on how maybe they could do it more efficiently? Yes. That is something that I had to really encourage initially, but now they're really good at that. So a lot of the guys are now better at tasks than I was. And that's really good. So for instance, our, our calf manager has come up with a lot of great suggestions to improve calf racing for us. And mm-hmm. the same with the, the feeder, like just c- coming up with routes that are more efficient, uh, ways of loading the feed as more efficient. Yeah, so we're, we're constantly tweaking and adjusting here, constantly trying to improve. So... Uh, often this comes up like so what one other thing i do on the farm is every morning like monday to friday i do a quick walkthrough of the farm and just touch base with all team members it will usually only just be a few minutes like a a quick uh how are you how are things going but it's an opportunity to just deal with like little things right away so that they don't become a big issue Mm -hmm. and then our on mondays we usually have our our monday morning meeting where we review the week ahead and anything unusual that needs to be dealt with. But that's also often when the team will bring up things that they've noticed that can potentially be done better. And so now they've also learned that if they come up with suggestions, we'll often just give it a shot. Mm-hmm. There's no harm in trying. And if it works, we'll keep it. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. 
So it's really nice to see the guys, especially the guys that are now on their second uh, two-year contracts, really taking responsibility and pride in their jobs where they're now seeing that, you know, when we try to improve things and make it better, it's also a benefit for them. It keeps everybody moving in the same direction. Like if the water's flowing in yeah. one way altogether, like it's it's definitely more efficient than, you know, having somebody want to kind of go off on a different little bit of a yeah. tangent almost. Well, and makes my job easier too. <laughs> Takes yeah, a lot of think, weight off my shoulder when they're doing that. And I mean, at the end of the day, you've got a lot of things on your plate. You're managing eight or nine employees, you know, maybe not on a daily basis, but say a good six or seven on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Plus you've got how many cows and there's always issues because this isn't a factory. Like they're living, breathing beings. And like yeah. you can get a wrench thrown at it pretty darn quick. And things can go off the rails really quickly. So I think yes, like by right. doing it the same way every day, it just, it mitigates the risk, I guess, is where I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you're absolutely right in that. But it's also, it's not like it's 100% the same every day, right? Like I'd say it's 75% the same. Mm-hmm. And then there's about 25% of the time that we deal with the unknowns or the un- unexpected, right? Like you have to leave a bit of wiggle room in there to deal with that because otherwise it just becomes impossible. So, so we do have a pretty tight schedule, but it's not tight to the point where, you know, if somebody picks up a cow late or if there's a, a delivery not arriving on time or just an, an, yeah, a breakdown of some sort, that we can't deal with that. But that's, a, that's also the interesting challenge of managing a farm, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what keeps you on your toes every day. <laughs> yeah. Some days I really like it and other days I'm like, okay, maybe another day would have been better for this. Yeah. <laughs> And then how do you do, like when, like you, if you lay out certain days, like, okay, so a day of the week is, is vet visit or day of the week is nutrition visit or like, like, how do you kind of gear the daily, the day to days around that? Like, are you overseeing all of that stuff or do you have different people that are, will get involved in say vet check for instance? Yes. So originally it was me doing all of it, but that's just impossible to keep up in the long term. So I've trained a good portion of our team to handle a lot of that stuff without me. My goal is to be able to go on a two-week holiday this year and uh, have these guys run the farm for me. And I think we're we're on track for that. So uh, yes, for instance, herd health, actually, uh, that's something our, our vet has been fantastic where they have been very supportive of us having Spanish-speaking employees where they have actually, we have a vet that speaks Spanish now. So she does the entire herd health in Spanish with our team members. So I don't even need to be there. Now I am there because I just feel that's really important and I, I like being there, but it's mm-hmm. good for me to know that if for some reason I cannot be there on a Tuesday herd health, the team is perfectly capable of handling that on their own. Yeah, the farm can so, run without uh, you. Yeah, you know, we're not completely there yet, but I think that that is one major goal for me where I don't want to be essential to it, right? I, I need to mm-hmm. be able to to take time off without having to worry that things are going sideways. So I know more suppliers now are also um, becoming a bit more accommodating to Spanish-speaking team members. So yeah, pretty much all our suppliers are, are great with working with the guys. They'll use Google Translate or like, you know, even simple language goes a long way where there are really no issues with the guys um, speaking a different language than they do. Things seem to be going. What we do run into though, 
is that when something like an emergency arises, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we are not at the point yet where my team can call a supplier and explain what the emergency is and ask for somebody to come in and fix it. That is still mostly on me. So yeah. I'd say that's that's still a weak point that I'm trying to figure out how we can uh, deal with that. With your employee structure, like, do you have a designated herdsperson or is everybody kind of on the same playing field and then everything rises up to you? Essentially, yeah, we try to keep the hierarchy pretty level. Um, so everybody just reports to me. I don't have a supervisor or a senior person, uh, mainly also being because all these guys work together. I do not want conflict in the house. And, and you know, mm -hmm. there, there hasn't been. Like, these guys are great. But just trying to keep it um, fair. Now, there is a bit of difference, obviously, in skill level because the guys that, ha that have been here for now three years now obviously know a lot more than the guys that just started. Um, but they all know that any changes in schedule or tasks are to be run by me before it's done. Mm -hmm. And that's just, well, just to keep things very clear. I, I don't want, again, it coming down to, it's, it's just me. I, I don't want to be dealing with surprises when I'm not around for a day. And so the guys are pretty good with that. That's a challenge that you see kind of, I think firms go in two different directions where they kind of promote from within or they keep everybody on yeah. the same kind of level in the hierarchy. And it is interesting because it's a bit of a challenge, right? Like, so in the grand scheme of things, I am looking for like a backup for me and there is opportunity for the guys to become that. And I think there would need to be some more growth and definitely more English for that to happen. But the, the potential is definitely there and I'm hopeful we will get to that point. Um, but yeah, for the time being, I, I, I run the farm like this just because, uh, well, it's humanly impossible for me to monitor everybody. I, I don't mm -hmm. want to run the farm like that. So the type of people that we employ are the type of people that can handle the level of responsibility that I give them and, and that I can trust. And so I am pretty clear on if that is broken, that we don't deal with that. So the guys that are here do understand that I, I give them a lot of freedom and responsibility and, and trust to do their tasks. But if that doesn't happen, then we're, we're pretty quick about that. So what are some of the things you're doing to have a good employee-employer relationship? Because this is kind of how, I guess, you came up on my radar as I seen you were doing a lot of very inclusive things with your group, whether it be having like a having team lunches or I see you guys around, like say for instance at the CDX, like you've, you take all these guys there and they're around and they're learning about yeah. the industry and, and getting kind of incorporated into the Canadian uh, dairy culture, I guess. So what are yeah. some of the things that you're doing to, to kind of foster that relationship? Well, it's kind of nice to know that it was noticed because also like, I, I honestly don't feel like we do too much different than other farms, but maybe with this particular team, yeah, we try to go, we try to make that more of a priority. And I think in the past, I didn't do that as much. So, you know, also it goes back to, like, I guess, adapting and growing as an employer, right? Like we have put more effort in that department. So yes, we, we do take the guys, we, we try to show appreciation, right? Like we work hard, but then in return, I, well, we, we really try to respect their time off. So I don't send the messages, call them when their time is off. But then if there's a, an event like the CDX, like you mentioned, or the farm show or 
they even just a fun team activity we we try to get the guys all out to do that just to show that we care like i guess essentially we try to show the guys that we care and appreciate that they're here one thing that we started doing that i didn't realize would be such a big hit was uh, we started raising an angus on the farm every year and we slaughter an angus for the team every year okay um, <laughs> that's been a huge thing that animal gets babied on the farm and it's like a big deal and then we pick it up the whole truck is full of beef and then the guys have beef for like months to come and this is a really big thing <laughs> so i i started also realizing that i guess you just have to ask right uh, mm -hmm. initially i would do what i thought the guys would like but that's not it doesn't necessarily line up so we just asked them like, hey what would you guys like to try like you have a bid in canada mm -hmm. what do you want to see so for instance we realized niagara falls the guys really want to see niagara falls so what we started doing is with the guys when they're near the end of the contract they'll go on a trip to niagara falls we had also a supplier offering tickets to a hockey game so the whole team went for hockey that was a really big hit we do a lot of just little things like you know in the summer if you're covering bunk and it's a really hot day and it's just hard work and you're exhausted we'll have a barbecue and a beer afterwards it's like more the spontaneous little things or mm -hmm. uh, we actually have some really great neighbors too that uh, will bring fresh veggies from their garden or bring cookies um, i think it's really all the little things that the guys also feel accepted in the community community it's not just us right like it it, it uh, it's the whole community really so they are actually become really social. Like uh, these guys, we now got them bikes also since they don't have driver's licenses, but they have bikes. And I helped them figure out taxis. There were a few places for instance, for takeout that they really enjoy. So I would call ahead to the place and say like, hey, you might have some non-English speaking people calling you, <laughs> but this is what they're trying to order. If you could maybe help out, like I'm trying. So I yeah. wrote down the, the calling sequence so that they would call and the person on the other hand would know what they're asking. So just like little things to make them feel accepted. Ice cream on a hot day seems to be really popular. Yeah, or it sounds like you have the odd cerveza after work. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, um, initially that was kind of funny when we did that. They kind of looked at us like, are you trying to trick us? I'm like, no, no, it's okay. We're, you know, you're done work. Uh, we, we're fine with you having a beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so I guess, what are some of the next steps like to help keep building this culture at the farm? Because like you guys are doing a pretty amazing job with what you're, you're doing, but I get the sense that you're always looking for the next, the next level and the next, next thing to, to make it better. Yeah. So um, I, I think we're going to keep trying to, to figure out yeah, those, those little moments of appreciation. I, I know that that's something that we can still do better. That, that is something that historically, I think as a farm, we were so focused on becoming efficient and the continuous growth and the continuous improvement that sometimes, yeah, you, you maybe don't focus as much on your team as you should. So we'll, we'll continue to try to, to do that well and to do it in a way that the team appreciates. Uh, the, the other thing that we're, we're trying to do is um, look at how we can figure out that work-life balance for our team better. So I know for now, we're lucky that they want to keep coming back, right? And these are the guys that I want to keep on our farm. They're, they're really excellent. I cannot reiterate enough how, how good it has been for our farm to have a stable team. Um, so it, it's been a game changer for us. But I know that realistically, 
maybe this type of setup may not work for 10 years. I don't know. This is an unknown for me, but I would like for it to work. So what we're thinking of maybe is that eventually we get to a point where a couple guys go home for a year or so, and then we have a, a, a longer term switch over, right? Where there's a longer mm-hmm. break in between working. But the main thing being for our farm that we keep that, the, the amount of people that we need the same and that the level of work being completed is the same. So in the long run, what I'm looking at is not just creating two or three backups for every position, but looking at four, like solid backups where when one is away, the, the quality of work doesn't suffer. And then the yeah, longer term backups. And, and I hope we work long term. And it, it's nice for us to also see, like they'll show me pictures of how this is improving their life back home. So I, I hope in the long run we can foster that long-term relationship where they see that this is being worthwhile for their families in the long run, just as it is as it is for our farm. It's it's hard to I guess quantify that other than like if they're you see their quality of life improving and they're helping you out. It's it's a win-win situation at the end of the day. Yeah. Aside from that point, right, the work-life balance, which I, I think they're happy with at this point, but yeah, again, the challenge being the very long term. One other thing that I have to work on to make this even better is ultimately I have to become fluent in Spanish, right? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, I have to work on that a little bit more. And, and one of the things that I feel is personally important for me is that I would like to be able to go to Guatemala one of, you know, in the next couple of years and just see where they come from and what they're doing. I think that would give me a better understanding of um, the motivation and, and how we can uh, make that, make it worthwhile for them. Yeah. Is there any kind of like maybe take takeaway messages that you would really kind of reiterate to a producer that's looking at going down this temporary foreign worker path for their firm? Um, well, I think for us in the end like working with the temporary foreign worker program has been a game changer it, it also pushed us to be better employers i think we were also forced to take a, a good honest hard look at what are we doing what can we do better and, and so we're we've made that more of a priority so that would be a good place to start ultimately the type of team team you work with like the nationality of your team doesn't really matter how the work is done it's really just it's is how you want to manage your farm and um yeah it it worked really well for us so far it's working really well i I understand that it may not work well for everybody and then that's totally okay but i think you have to be very honest with yourself yeah the main thing being how do you want to manage your farm are you willing to adapt and how much are you willing to adapt and then go from there well, I know the the greatest buzzwords around are sustainability lately, and I think they talk about environmental sustainability and things like that. But I think things like this are really going to influence the sustainability of the farms and the work life yeah. balance because, like, I I see the change in generation almost where the the older generation worked really, really hard to build what they have. And I'm not sure the next generation coming in, like they work really hard, but the foundation's kind of built already. It's just maintaining it 
and growing it. And I know within my own peer group, people want to have that better work-life balance. Like they don't want to be working 16, 17, 18 hours a day. Like they do it when they need to. In the middle of January, do you really need to be working <laughs> 16 hours a day in the bar? Like, like yeah. there's people are really cognizant of their their family and their work-life balance and making sure that everything works. And I think you're doing, you're setting a really good example for some other producers on how to manage that well and be a very progressive and efficient dairy. Well, thank you for saying that. But I, I honestly do also feel like it's still a work in progress, right? Like it's not perfect. There are days where we are absolutely not running efficiently. And then there are days that are. And I think the key thing is just to keep trying, just to look mm-hmm. at, keep having that goal in mind, like what do you want to achieve and just keep working towards it. Yeah, realistically, I don't think we can ever make farming nine to five. I don't know if I would want it to be either, to be honest, but you can take advantage of the days where you're not busy and do something with your family. And then, yeah, on the summer days where you know it's going to be busy. Okay. As long as everybody is on the same page with that, where there are days where you are going to be away all day and other days Mm -hmm. where you're not for, for me personally, that is really important. That was really important for me to run this farm and to see, um, a long-term future for myself. I, I want to have that balance between family and work and, and make it fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I think ultimately that also helps your team be more happy, right? Like if they see you happy, if you can take the time and make sure that they're happy, I, I think that takes a lot of the stress away. Otherwise you're always putting out fires, always doing band-aid solutions. And I just hate that people feed off of different people, right? Like if yeah. you're anxiety and stress written all the time, you know, that like there's a trickle down effect to it. Like there's yeah. no way around it. Like, I guess to make sure everything is working in a productive and efficient manner is, is the goal at the end of the day. And how do you, how does a farm go about that? Well, it's not a cookie cutter for every farm. And I don't know, like you said, I, yeah. I don't think it's going to be like that in the future either. Like farming's not, it's as much as, you hear the term factory farming and things like that, no matter what the scale is, it's not a factory. There's so many working. No. There's so many variables being thrown at everything every day that yeah, and that's it's not like Toyota. Yes. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you that, with that. Like they'll, they'll, yeah, I hear the term factory farm a lot, but I think people don't understand how much we care about our animals, right? Like I always yeah. try to reiterate, like the happy, healthy cow is what gives the most milk. That's really what we try to do. So, but what, one other thing I just want to mention, um, n- knowing that foreign workers on farms and, and particularly dairy farms in this area is becoming more and more common. One thing that I was hoping that that would happen in our area and, and, and it might, is that to accommodate that, that language barrier, right? That there would be some resource for farmers that are in a position where they're maybe considering hiring foreign workers or they've already done that to have some help in crossing that language barrier. So for instance, like I ended up taking a, a Spanish course that was online uh, run by an American dairy farmer. And so it was very dairy specific Spanish and it was such a huge help because mm-hmm. in regular Spanish classes like at colleges or even online, like you're learning touristy Spanish. Like I don't need to learn how to order a beer 
or order or a sandwich. Conversational stuff, right? Yeah. Where your I conversations mean, are very specific. Yeah. They, a tourist is not going to learn that you have to say, like, these five cows need to be inseminated, right? <laughs> or <laughs> is this afterbirth normal? So those are not. <laughs> you might get a funny look learn. at a resort. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that was really a barrier I came across where I was sitting in Spanish class going, yeah, this is really not functioning for me. Like, it's only going to go so far. And when I took that American Spanish course that was really dairy focused, like, boy, did that make a difference. And I'm just really hopeful that somebody, maybe Oxford County or Ontario will, will have that Spanish knowledge, would be able to, to run some courses for, for dairy farmers like myself, where we can yeah. continue to improve our Spanish. Well, I know there's some, like, and it's not as common yet in Canada as, in, as it is in uh, the United States, but there's a lot of... I think within certain suppliers and things like that, like there's a lot of them are bilingual now, like they'll do on-farm training and things like that, where um, they have a, like a fluently Spanish person teaching the, the employees on, you know, as simple as like safety training. We're, I'm seeing it more and more. It's not probably as common as it should be yet, but I mean, it's going to take a little bit of time. Actually, the health, the HR advisor that we work with, uh, they are providing Spanish training to our employees. So every month we have health and safety training used to be in English, but now we do it in Spanish. Yeah. And that's been, yeah, a huge help for us. Mm -hmm. And so they now do videos actually in Spanish instead of just reading. And yeah, a lot of our suppliers now often have a Spanish speaking person on board. So for instance, next week I'm having a, a colostrum training for the team in Spanish. Oh, nice. Yeah. So they're very excited about that. But it makes such a difference, right? Like where you have a natural Spanish speaker or somebody at least that's very comfortable in doing the whole training in Spanish. I find that the team is more engaged. There's more questions. It's just overall more beneficial for our farm. Well, and it's in a specific dialect too. Like they're, they're, they're farm talking in their native language. And I think yeah. it just helps them understand it better because... I know if I had to go like say learn German or Dutch or something like that, like if you're not yeah kind of immersed in that farm specific language, you're just lost. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Uh I really appreciate your time uh today. Like it was uh it was really great to learn about what you're doing there. And and like I said, you guys are doing a really great job on kind of leading the way on on the temporary foreign worker when it comes to dairies here. Uh, specifically in Canada, I know the U.S. is kind of leaps and bounds mm-hmm. uh, ahead of us, but I mean, in the next five to ten years, it's going to be a lot more prevalent in our industry here. And uh, I just, yeah, thanks for doing the job that you're doing, and and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Dairy Farmer's Digest is brought to you by the dairy team at Wallenstein Feed and Supply Limited. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast player. And please, leave us a review. If you would like further information about today's topic, check out the show notes for further details and our contact information. I would also like to extend a special thanks to Christine Spoonderwood, our producer, and our sound engineer, Daniel Noguera.